Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Amen. Good word, huh? Why don't you remain standing with me? I'm going to read a passage of scripture as we jump into our series called Showdown. Uh, It's in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis, now I practice that word a bunch, because, man, I tripped over it a million times. I'm glad I did it this time. And Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Man, what a, what a great message. That's always a good, good message to bring. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. And not a few of the leading women. Another version says a lot of the prominent women. They, they decided to, to follow. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. I'm not sure what exactly that rabble looked like. <laughs> What's a rabble? I, I don't know. I don't know if they were all just kind of excited and upset or whatever. But there was some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob. They went from a rabble to a mob. Again, I don't know where that crossover is when you're like a rabble and the volume increases, then you're a mob. I don't know. I don't know. But it went from a rabble to a mob, set the city in an uproar. So from a rabble, again, not sure what that exactly looks like, to a mob, that's a little bit more clear, right? Um, To the whole city is in an uproar. Now, again, we're in our series Um, on showdown and so if you kind of get that western motif idea in your head this is the 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 townspeople with the the pitchforks and the torches they're they're excited they're something is going down something's gonna happen they formed this mob the whole city in an uproar and they attacked the house of jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I want you to have that image in your head, this this idea that, that there was a group of men who rode into town, probably not on horses, but maybe they came in town on horses. They stirred the crowd up. There's a mob, pitchforks and, and, and torches coming to find these guys. And the idea that the crowd was so upset because they had turned the world upside down. Lord, let us be a people who turn the world upside down. Let's pray this morning. I just want you to lift your hands let, uh, and just ask that, that, that God would help you just to receive the word this morning. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for great examples of, of people like the Apostle Paul who everywhere they went, turned things upside down. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that do the same. God, give us courage, give us passion, give us fire to do that. And God, I pray that as I speak this morning, your message would just be clear. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. 
Uh, we do want to let you know we've been in, in uh, our November fast. It's not too late to join. Uh, it is still November, so you could jump in uh, uh, right now. Today, you could do that, and uh, just encourage you to do that. Set some time aside to focus in on, on what God wants you to hear and, and those good things. I, I'm, I'm a little uh, worried because uh, Pastor Steve set this message up to be an A++. Uh, so I kind of wish he would have said solid B minus, and then I had room, but, uh, so, <laughs> but he didn't. So here we go. Um, so, uh, the, we're in this series called showdown and much like the classic Westerns, uh, you have the good guy that rides into town to, to save the townspeople from the bad guys, um, inevitably resulting in this quick draw at high noon. Um, I, I mentioned in the, the first gathering, I, I'm not sure why they did it at high noon, if the, like they just couldn't do it at one o'clock, if there was a log, in, I don't know. And then Jenny Mowry said, I think it's because when the sun is highest in the sky, nobody has an advantage, there's no shadows. I'm like, that's a good point, Jenny. Thank you, I'm going to use that. So that's, uh, they gathered at that time, so there, there's no advantage. Um, but there's inevitably this standoff, and, and for, for us, um, concerning this idea about showdowns in our lives, um, we are inevitably going to face opponents, um, and they're going to take many forms, and they're going to be motivated by many factors. Um, it's important that we recognize the, these opponents and we, we fight accordingly. Now, I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path today because I am not going to... Um, highlight an opponent that you're that you're fighting because the truth is I cannot point out every opponent uh, like I could stand up here a hundred times and I could uh, list a different opponent a different enemy a different circumstance a different situation and I'm still going to miss the one that you're going to face tomorrow Anybody like has have you ever been in those situations where you're sailing along good and then something pops up and you're like I had no I, I that came out of nowhere I did not even see that coming and here I am facing this thing down so I'm not going to do that this morning but I am going to talk about what we are fighting for because here's the truth any enemy that you face, if you face them with the proper motivation, it's going to help you fight that enemy. So I'm, I'm going to take a, just a step back and we're going to talk about what we are actually fighting for. So uh, in preparation, I kind of did a deep dive into duels and this is kind of, you know, this, this imagery, the fancy duel, right? I challenge you to a duel, sir. And they slap them with their glove and, uh, and then they go out and they duel, right? Take, take 10 steps and turn around and fire at each other. Um, so I was just doing a little research and found that in the 17th and 18th centuries, most duels uh, happened with swords. Um, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that, that went down. They did paces, but they just fought with swords. Um, I'm sure, that, and in my research, that's, this is the website that I used said in the 17th and 18th century, they were fought with swords. I'm sure before that, it was fought with anything you could get your hands on, right? Sticks, stones, uh, whatever. Because people have been fighting for a long time. Can I get an amen? Um, afterwards, they begin to fight with pistols. And now the rules of the duel, um, they changed from duel to duel. They could fight uh, to first blood. So uh, the first one to get hurt, once somebody got hurt, then the duel was over. Uh, the one that didn't get hurt, he was the winner. Um, or you could fight until somebody got seriously wounded, 
Well, it's obvious. <laughs> I get this picture. Um, this is an old reference, but Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. And he cuts the, the Black Knight's arm off, and he's like, it's just a scratch. Um, uh, it's obvious you're really hurt here. You can't go on. No, I can keep going. Um, it's it's kind of one of those things. Once somebody was mortally wounded, um, then they would stop the fight. Um, or it was a fight to the death, right? Somebody's is we're going to keep going until somebody can't go anymore because they're dead. Um, and then there was the one shot, which this is kind of interesting. So it was it would they take their paces, they'd turn around and they each got one shot. If you missed, then you missed. The duel's over. Um, and uh, so it's interesting in doing these researches, there have been duels fought for various different reasons over many, many centuries by all kinds of different people. I pulled out some, some interesting ones to me. Hopefully you'll find them interesting. Uh, on July 11th, 1804, our U.S. Vice President, while he was in office, Aaron Burr, dueled former U.S. Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton, and Alexander Hamilton was killed. Okay, we think political fighting is bad now. We don't have politicians shooting. Could you imagine the vice president saying, I challenge you, sir, to a duel, and then going out, and it's on television and everything. Just crazy, right? Um, uh, also, February 24th, 1838, U.S. Representative from Kentucky, William Jordan Graves, killed U.S. Uh, representative from Maine, Jonathan Seeley. I don't know why, why, why were these two uh, senators mad at each other. I, I'm not sure. Um, but one was killed. Uh, afterwards, and this is a good thing. This is a good thing that happened as a result of this one duel. Afterwards, uh, Congress passed a law making it illegal to issue or accept a duel uh, in Washington, D.C., and everybody said, thank you, Jesus. Amen, right? <laughs> like, thank you. That was a good law that you passed because there would be a, a lot of uh, carnage uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, September 13, 1859, a U.S. Senator, David C. Broderick, and former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of California, David S. Terry, uh, fought a duel, and Broderick was killed. Uh, even Abraham Lincoln, you think about him, the great emancipator. You think about him as a pretty measured guy and, you know, level-headed, and he was even in a duel uh, while he was in the Illinois uh, legislation. Legislation. He was a legislator at the time. Uh, somebody challenged him to a duel. He accepted. They went out. They were about to, to do it, and then each party's guys, you know, they had they had their their seconds there and their 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 people. They were like, this is a really bad idea, and they stopped it. Thank goodness they stopped it, right? Because who knows if Abraham Lincoln had not been president, all kinds of craziness. You know, duels and showdowns are common even still. Thank goodness, luckily, we have moved beyond needing to pull out guns and shoot each other, but they, they still exist. We see them every day. Amen? Like every day. Turn on the television for a few seconds. You will see people upset at each other and getting getting mad at each other. But as I was uh, reading these historic duels, the, the thing that keeps uh, uh, coming up in my mind is why. What happened that caused these two people to say there is no other recourse than to, to fight right now and to take out guns and try to shoot each other? 
I mean, I've been mad at people. I've never gotten to the point that I'm like, I challenge you to a duel. I can't. Right? And I feel like if you ever challenge somebody to a duel, if you don't do it with the fancy voice, it's not really a duel. I challenge you, sir, to a duel. I feel like you need to do that. Um, but in scriptures, um, uh, and in the scripture that I read a few minutes ago, we see this, this, uh, this angry mob has formed. And it, again, it's invoking these ideas of uh, the, the, the townspeople all in uproar. And they're marching down to the courthouse and they're, they're going to do, do their thing. They're going to they're gonna get this person. That person was uh, the Apostle Paul and his com- companions. And they were upset because they turned the world upside down. And as I, I, I thought about this moment, everybody's whipped into a frenzy, looked at the scriptures. I thought to myself... Are the things that I'm fighting for so compelling that people would say, this guy is turning the world upside down? Is the things that I'm fighting for that, that great? Or, or is it possible that the things that I'm fighting for from time to time, the things that I get upset about from time to time, are completely misguided and unimportant? So let me be clear. As a church, as not just as a church at C3 Southwest Washington, but universal, the church around the world, the most important thing that we have, the most important possession that we have as the, as the church, as, as the bride of Christ, is the gospel. It is the only thing that should motivate our fight. It, it is the only thing that should motivate our fight. Right? If you are fighting from some different motivation, then you are fighting with the wrong motivation. It's got to be the only thing that motivates. It's the beautiful gospel. It's this gospel that, that God has made a way for you and I to be part of his family, to be, get, be able to, to share in his inheritance. That's amazing. God, God's just looking for people to, to, to draw in to be part of his family. That no matter how uh, how bad the depth of, of depravity, the amount of sin in your life. It's not too great for his blood to, to, to cover it. That, uh, this is the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. Some of you need to like stir yourselves up a little bit because this is really good news, right? Uh, that no matter how far we wander, he will relentlessly pursue us. That because God so loved the world, our our language is inadequate for for the amount of love that God has for you and I. So the Bible just says, he's so loved, like, he's so loved, like, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to to become sin on our behalf, to take our, our punishment upon him. To die on our behalf. That whoever, you're, you're a whoever, right? Amen? Thank goodness I'm a whoever. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. And my concern, my concern for the church is that somehow that we've forgotten what that first love is. We've forgotten, we've misplaced the gospel and that the message that we've proclaimed have somehow become cloudy or, or at times, at worst, secondary to this, this, this glorious gospel. That instead of fighting people, we begin to fight people. Or instead of 
excuse me, I said that wrong, that instead of fighting for people, we begin to fight people. That as believers, our singular mission is to go out and reach people, not fight against people. Just let me take an aside here for a second. Could you imagine if Jesus showed up while, while, while you were still sinner? And he came and he tried to argue with you about all of the stupid things that you've done. I don't, I don't feel like that would be compelling to me. Because Jesus comes and he says, in spite of everything that you've done, it, that, all that stuff, we don't even need to talk about that stuff. I've come, I've come with grace. Man, that's a, that is a compelling message to me. I don't know about you. Like for me, I mean, that's, that's amazing. We'll get, we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're going to jump down to Acts chapter 19. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're following along in, in your Bible, you could go to uh, verse 32. But I want to uh, just kind of set this. I am, I am like going, uh, I'm not going to have enough time. So I'm going to go quick, okay? Follow me with this. Acts chapter 19, Paul rides into Ephesus. I'm just going to set the stage here for a moment for this verse. Um, Paul rides into Ephesus. He begins to teach and preach the good news of the gospel. There, uh, as the Bible uh, states it, there's extraordinary miracles happening. Things are, are, are people are being healed. Uh, even um, they would bring handkerchiefs uh, Paul would touch them. They would take those to the sick, and the sick would recover. I mean, miraculous things going on. Uh, in that region, there was a lot of idol worship. There was a lot of uh, um, sorcery and th- people practicing magic and all of those things in, in that region. And the, the gospel message was so great and so compelling that the, the people who were practicing magic just started bringing their, their magic stuff. I don't know, like books of magic. I don't know exactly what that looked like. And they began to, to, to throw them in the fire and destroy them. Somebody had the presence of mind to count those things. Well, that look, book looks like that's worth this amount. And they counted them, and they said all of the, all of the things that were, were burned in the fire were worth about 50,000 pieces of silver. I would like to have 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. There's a lot of things being destroyed. It was disrupt, disrupting everything. Uh, the idol makers got angry um, because they had created a whole economy of, of making little idols, right? So people would come and they would buy idols and they make these little gold statues. Hey, buy this, this god and take it home. It's going to be cool. You can set it on your shelf. And, and people were like, we're not doing that anymore because... Because we've just heard about a God who's living, who, who Jesus Christ came to, to, to die on our behalf, and he died, and then he rose again. It was amazing, and he's alive today. And so it disrupted everything. The gospel was even disrupting the economy. Could you imagine if our message was so compelling here in this region that the economy began to shift? Have you driven around Oregon, Oregon and Washington and seen all these little green buildings that when you drive by, you get a whiff and you're like, whoa, I'm not sure what's going on there. Anybody has seen those around? Could you imagine if our economy shifted in such a way or the message was so compelling in such a way that people were like, I can't find what I need to find in that store but I could find it down the road where people are preaching about Jesus and there's a grace there and I don't need to, I don't need to take a substance. In order, man, I could go on and on and on about that. But could you imagine if, if the, the, the strip clubs closed down, if, if, if the economy completely shifted 
because of the good news of the gospel. The idol makers were so upset that they, they started a riot. I mean, they were, they were throwing stuff and breaking stuff. And I, and I love this, uh, this verse, Acts chapter 19, verse 32. This is in, in the midst of all this. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not even know why they had come together. So this is, there's, a riot, there's people that are like, I'm mad. I'm not sure why, but I am mad, and I'm going to break something. Can, does that sound like, I, I mean, come on, right? This, not much has changed. People are upset about, about whatever. I mean, I could probably say a few words and offend everybody in this room in just a matter of seconds. I'm not going to, some of you are like, oh, what's he going to say? I'm not going to, so I, I'll just say, I'll say a name. I won't even say anything but a name, and it's going to invoke some, some uh, feelings uh, in you. Jay Inslee. Okay, see, I, I, didn't even, I didn't say anything other than a name. Not a political statement at all, but some of you may have feelings one way or the other. I could go on. I could really quickly rattle off a few things, and I could have quickly offend everybody in this room. Because we all have something we're mad about, Right? We all have something that we could get whipped up into a fury about. But there's a more compelling message than our anger and frustration with the current situations in the world. And let me tell you this. Listen, um, I, I, I believe in, in social justice. I believe that we should, that, that we should have opinions on, on, on certain things, and we should proclaim the gospel. But let me tell you this. It, it's never going to be made right until Jesus returns. Okay? It's never going to be right. We're always going to fight it. The world is always going to push back against God's goodness. Amen? So, so fight those things. Be passionate about them. But let that message be secondary to the gospel. Be... <laughs> okay, I got I to move. I got to move. I'm not going to. Yeah, okay. Um, what was this message that caused such a huge uproar? That, that changed the economic situation in the region? That, that turned people away from practices that dishonored God. I can't say for certain because we don't have record of those actual messages that, that, that were spoke, but, but uh, we do have some idea um, because this happened, this, this moment where the riots happened. This is in Ephesus. Later, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesians, um, and, uh, and so it gives us a, a kind of a glimpse into the message that, that they heard, that they, that they digested, that became a part of them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. This is everybody. We've all fallen into this category. Don't think of yourselves too highly because you were here. This was all of us, okay? This, this is a representation of us. Like the rest of mankind, there it is. Like the, that, your mankind, that's us, Okay? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, I, I, I want you to see just um, rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Okay? Um, go to the next slide there. 
Um, By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Okay, uh, this is going to be old reference. The kids aren't going to get it. Some of you older ones may get it. I get this image of Scrooge McDuck and his big bank vault, you know, the one where he dives in and swims around in his money. He's got loads of money. You're like, what are you talking about? Hush, you're you're too young. Um, uh, But he's like swims around in his money. He's got all the money that he's ever going to need. But I, I get this image of God in heaven, not with bags of money, but with bags of grace. His immeasurable riches of grace. He is rich in grace. Man, I, I, I am so excited about that because that means that no matter what I do, he has enough grace to cover my sins. No matter how many, how many times I fall short, his grace will cover it. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of my own capacity to do stupid things. Anybody with, with, like, I mean, I feel like I'm smart. I, I feel like I could figure things out. But man, there's sometimes I'm like, what's wrong with me? But his grace is enough. He's got immeasurable riches of grace. Measurable riches of grace uh, in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Thank you, Jesus, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I, I want to also show this next one, uh, verses 12 through 13. It says, remember, he, he's, he's calling back. Remember to that time before I showed up in town. Remember, like, like you were, you were lost. Remember this, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the message. This is the motivation for you and I. This is the thing that needs to drive everything that we do. Steve, you want to bring your team up? Because I need to to land this plane. I believe that that our message as believers has has been lost, or, or at least minimized, by all the other important issues of our day. Instead of standing firm and fighting for what's right, many believers have joined the mob and we're mad and we're not sure why, but we're mad. Man, listen, if you imagine this on a scale, the things as believers that we have to be mad about are far outweighed by the joy of knowing that God is gracious and God is good. And God is kind. You know, I think as, as humans, we, we, we do have this, this, this tendency to kind of gravitate towards the things that make us upset. I'm really upset about it. That's the thing I'm going to go with. And, and I, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I look around, but I, I don't see people saying of C3 Southwest Washington, man, remember when those guys were really mad about whatever it was they were mad about? Remember how that turned the world upside down? I just don't see it. But if people would recognize us, and this is not a rebuke, this is just this the observation of, of, of my own life. This is an observation of, of, of us as, as the people of God. Do we ever get to the point where that stuff that makes us mad becomes so far down on the list that, that it's just way over, it's, 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 yeah, I can, I, yeah, I can see how somebody could get upset about that, but I don't really care about that. What I care about is God is gracious and God is good. That will be the thing that changes the region. That will be the thing that changes your neighborhood. That will be the thing that changes our situation. All of my life, all of my opinions, all of my ideas have been affected by this one thing that God showed his grace to me while I was yet a sinner. While I was the enemy of God, God showed his grace to me and that has informed everything that I do. I, I, I don't, see, following Christ isn't just a, a, a list of do's and don'ts. That is, that is so far off to the side. Following Christ is, is accepting the grace that he's given us. And, and once you do that, it helps you with the, the way that you walk, the, the, the opinions that you carry, the, the ideas and, and thoughts that you have. But the very first thing, the primary thing, is Jesus Christ and his grace. So Revelations chapter 2, uh, 2 through 5 here. This is, this is the end or... or, or no, well, it's Revelation, so it's at the end of the Bible. But, but this is kind of the back end of what we just read. So the church in Ephesus, miracles happening, things going on, uh, the the economy shifting, things are changing. Paul's saying, "Listen, here's here's the the message that you receive: God's grace, His goodness, His mercy. It's nothing that you've done, but it's everything that Christ has done. This is the message." Here, uh, God again is talking to the the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patience, patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduringly patient and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Man, if this could be what God writes about our church, man, that would be amazing. This church is doing awesome. This, this type of church that I want to be at, like, man, like false, false teachers, no way. Get them out of here. Like, we're going we're gonna to endure. There's going to be a hard situation, but we're pressing in, right? And then it goes on to say, but I have this against you. Man, this church is looking great, but God has something against them. It's this, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This love at first that is talked about here is I believe, what I believe is the gospel of grace. Man, that, that has got to be our first love. 
God is gracious, that God is kind. It's really easy for us as believers to feel like we can move past this. We, be, we become so hard in our, our well-doing that we forget about the great grace that God has shown us and that he desires to show other people. See, the instruction to the church here is, is repent. Do what you did at the very beginning. If not, what he's saying here, he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. What, what he's really saying is the influence that you had over your region, over the people in the area, that, that influence is going to be removed. There is, you are no longer going to have influence. I, I've seen this happen with churches. That the message got lost somehow and, 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 and the cause shifted and it was no longer really about the gospel. It was about, you know, building a fortress or what, whatever. And that influence just vaporizes. Man, I don't want this to be what South, C3 Southwest Washington is about. Man, I, I want to have all the influence to be able to, to, to tell people that Jesus Christ saves that he loves. Man, I, I don't want to be the type of church. And, I, and, and when I say that, I recognize that, that we're not that, that people. It's, this is just a reminder of, of our first love. And a reminder that a great church like, like, like we are, I love you guys. You guys are so faithful. You guys, man, faithful, good people. But I, I, I don't want to find ourselves down the road thinking, what happened? Where did the influence go? I, I don't want to be the type of church where somebody walks in and, man, maybe down on their luck, maybe they have done some really horrific things in their lives. Maybe their, their decisions are, are, are not the decisions that we would make. Maybe, maybe they don't look or act the, the ways that, that we think they should. Man, I'd, I'd, I'd hate for us to, to judge before we ever got the opportunity to say, God's grace is sufficient. And I can think about so many people in my life that need to hear that, that message. Not my, not my opinions, not my condemnation, not my frustration, not my anger over whatever issue, but that God is good and he desires to save. If you would just stand with me. Maybe the, the showdown, it, it's us really squaring off against the unimportant, the frivolous, the, the lesser causes. Maybe that's really the showdown. And as a, as a, as a church, as, as Christians, as believers, I want to I be able to stand and, and, and proclaim that one thing very clear. His grace is sufficient. Maybe uh, you're in here and maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus. Well, you're not saying yes to following a bunch of, of rules. You're not saying yes to conforming to a standard. You're not saying yes to, you know, um, making everybody think that you have it all together because Lord knows, take a look at me, right? <laughs> you're not saying yes to that. What you're saying yes is allowing God's grace to be applied to your life and cleansing you from all sin, all unrighteous, not, uh, unrighteousness, all uh, um, everything that you've done. It's all you're saying yes to. Whether you're here, whether you're at home watching, I, I want to invite you to say yes to him. There's no, no matter what you've done, 
his grace is enough. If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're, we're going to pray. And then we're going to sing a little bit more. But I, I want to take the opportunity to pray for you. And, and I want us as a, as a, as a church family, as, as believers, to you know, recognize those areas where his, his message has, has somehow become less important um, in our own lives. And, and, and we want to repent. We've got to, we're sorry. If you're for the first time saying yes to Jesus, this is your opportunity to say, God, forgive me of our sin. Forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So I want to pray this morning. Father, we, we thank you. God, we thank you for your abundant grace. God, we thank you that no matter how many times we fall short, no matter how many times that we mess up, God, you extend your immeasurable grace to us. And God, right now, whether it's for the first time, whether it's for the thousandth time, God, we repent. God, we ask you to forgive us. God, I, I pray that we, you would restore in us that love for the gospel of grace. That when we look at people, when we interact with people, God, we, we remember the grace that you've shown us. God, and we respond with that same grace. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. God, in, in, in the showdowns that we face, every enemy that we face, and the, the weapon that we, that we carry is the gospel of grace. Thank you, Father. God, you're good. You're faithful. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.